Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Live at 45. Um, this month it's November and we've got Richard Anderson who's giving us an interactive mindfulness journey. Um, just in case you want to take part in the two mindful exercises that he gives us. First one involves a leaf, preferably a dry leaf, so if you want to go and find one. And the second one involves sitting down and closing your eyes. So if you're driving while listening to this, I would either pull over or wait till you get home. And that's just a little bit of health and safety advice for you there. So thank you for tuning in. Um, Live at 45 is on the third Thursday of every month at Felton Gallery, Gallery 45. You can find the podcast on iTunes or on SoundCloud. And both of the links to those podcasts can be found on our Facebook page if you just search for Live at 45. And it's the at symbol and the word 40, F-O-R-T-Y. Um, we also have a website, 45FORTY5.co.uk, where you can find details of all the upcoming events. But this month is Richard Anderson, and I hope that you sit back and enjoy. <laughs> Thank you very much. So, when did you last do absolutely nothing? People have got the audacity to say, I do that every day, but maybe it's just that I've been really, really mindful. So we'll, we'll, and I don't mean by doing nothing, sitting watching the TV or reading a book, I mean doing absolutely nothing. So there's no thoughts going through your head, not worrying about the future, thinking about the past. It's very, very difficult. It's very, very hard to turn our minds off. So we'll get straight into an exercise, take... The index finger of one of your hands and the palm of your other. And very slowly, touch from the tip of your middle finger down to the wrist. Now when you were doing that, were you only focusing on the sensation in your hand? Or were you thinking about the future, thinking, ooh, those hands look a bit dry, I better go and buy some moisturiser. Or were you thinking about the past, thinking, oh, that's just like when you do uh, Ring a Ring of Roses on your kid's hand. Or you're thinking, this is a bit weird, what am I doing here? So it's really, really hard, something so simple as just touching your own hand and not to, not to think. So I'll, I'll make a prediction. Earlier today, some people in this room were probably thinking, oh, can't be bothered to go to this talk tonight. It's probably not really for me. Will I enjoy it? I'm not really sure what it's going to be about. Uh, I'm not sure I'm really into mindfulness. Is it not just new age rubbish? Anyone relate to that? I won't ask for a show of hands. Or you might have been the opposite. You might have been thinking, wow, this is going to be brilliant. I'm going to get loads of information. It's going to, be, it's going to solve all my problems. This mindfulness is going to be just right for me. Maybe someone was like that, perhaps? I bet at least one person in this room was thinking, oh my God, what if he's embarrassing? What if he's rubbish? What if he, what if he mentions me? But I promised I wouldn't, Alex, so it's all right. <laughs> you might be thinking, oh, it's quiz night at the pub. I could have been down there. I could have saved myself a fiver. I already feel a like shouting, because I know all in here. You could have just come around to the house and we could have done this. <laughs> so... Oh, so my thoughts maybe half an hour ago was, oh no, what have I got myself into? 
<laughs> I'm so nervous. What if I forget what I'm saying, which I just did then? What if I make a mess of it? What if I panic? What if I have a heart attack? I can't cope. How do I get out of this? So these are all usual thoughts about um, any kind of event that comes up in, in your life. But we have a choice. We can allow our minds to take over and go through all this thought traffic, as it's sometimes called. So you're constantly ruminating, you're constantly thinking about what's going on. Or we can do something different. Do we want to just experience the here and now, what we feel and sense and, and think, um, and, and try and block out some of that mind traffic? And the metaphor that we can use is the train in a station. So the train pulls into the station. Each one of those characters is carriages is full of thoughts and anxieties and worries but you've got the power to get on the train or to just let it carry on. Some days you might need to get on the train, but every now and then you might be able to identify that just lets that train leave and will not get onto the train. So do you want to be mindful or mindful? There is a difference. So is it for me? Yes, let's get on with it. But really, I'm here to tell you about it. It's for you to decide whether it's something that would be suitable for you or not. I can't tell you that it's going to help you or do anything. But what I will tell you is how I came to mindfulness and what I think it's done for me. Um, you don't need any prior knowledge or experience, but you should know that it is a skill. And like any skill, you don't get good at it just by messing around. You've got to take it seriously and you've got to practice. Um, I'll tell you about... so. Probably a completely irrelevant uh, reference. Victor Kayan, Remington, he liked the company so much, he, bought, he liked the shaver so much, he bought the company. I liked the philosophy behind this so much, I went and did an MSc in it. Uh, and also did a, my thesis in mindfulness with people with learning disabilities, which is really interesting. And then I'll have to get a sales pitch in. So, my story. We all have a secret, and believe it or not, it's the same one. We all get stressed, we all get lonely, we all get sad, we all get anxious. Um, some of us might get, get depressed, some of us might be habitual worriers, but we all get happy and we'll all enjoy doing things at some point in our life. And believe it or not, that's called life, that's normal. Everyone does that, there's nothing new in that. It's how we respond to these events and how we address these concerns and the associated emotion, emotions with it that make us who we are and whether we can have positive or negative mental health. So the previous speakers, although I haven't run across a desert or done anything exciting like kayak around the world three times, um, they've been really personal stories and really open and honest and hopefully I can do that as well. So I was introduced to mindfulness about um, four years ago by a clinical psychologist that I went to see uh, and she thought mindfulness would be a really positive thing. Now that photograph's actually taken about three years ago when there was quite a lot of big life events happening in my life and I was probably struggling, looking back, struggling with my mental health. Although I do like my hair that long. Wait, I might go back to that, not, just not the beard. So yeah, I wasn't in, in a good place. So people say that moving house and going on holiday are some of the most stressful things that you can do. In the last three years, I've been made redundant from a job that I worked in for 17 years. Uh, I've 
separated and started a quite a difficult divorce process. Um, but I've also completed an MSc in psychology, started two new businesses, moved house, and yes, I've been on holiday more than once. So I'm still here and I'm still surviving and smiling, hopefully, because um, bizarrely, on the face of it, I didn't really think those big events in my life were that stressful. But I know they were because I can tell through some of the behaviour and some of the emotions that I express in the little things. So, like the kids not picking things up or leaving towels on the bathroom floor. Why? <laughs> Every day I pick that towel up. Um, people changing arrangements. All these things are really minor in the, in the scheme things, but I know that they quicken my heart rate, shorten my temper, cause me to shout. Maybe they make me slightly anxious and depressed. So that's, that's how I know that things are happening. But through mindfulness, I can accept that these negative outcomes for what they are. You can identify that they are just experiences to be experienced. And it's up to me to decide how you want to respond to those. So for me, mindfulness gives you that space from negative emotions to step back, to view them and to decide how you want to respond and whether or not you want to re react or not. So what is this mindfulness stuff then? So people are probably aware of the history of it. It's um, a psychological construct which has been linked with well-being. It obviously has its roots in Buddhism, but the sort of scientific treatment methods that have come out of mindfulness are very clear on emphasising the secular nature. So you don't need to be any religious beliefs to be interested in mindfulness. So, the common definition is paying attention in a particular way. So you pay attention on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. One of the hardest things to explain about mindfulness is it's not supposed to do anything, it's not supposed to work. Because if you're already sitting here thinking about an end goal for something that you're going to do, it's not mindful. So you're here to experience the process. Mindful meditation is often, often mentioned, but that's a difficult word as well because it isn't meditation. We're not going to sit here, we're not going to dim the lights, we're not going to close our eyes unless you want to. We're not going to change what we do because it's really important that we can try and be mindful in everything that we do, not just an hour a week or in a certain sort of formal setting. So an example is, uh, there's a TV advert at the moment where a couple go on a date and they, um, they sit down at the table, they get engaged, they get married, they talk about having kids and then they split up all in a process. Well, if you go on your first date, it might be that you want to meet someone that you end up doing all those things to. But if you go to that first date with that mindset, how likely are you going to have a, a good date and an enjoyable date with the person in front of you? It's probably not very likely. So mindfulness would, would, is a way of experiencing that date for what it is, rather than worrying about what's going to happen in the future. So we've said it's uh, non-judgmental attention to experiences in the present moment. So something called mindfulness-based stress reduction MBSR was a concept um, dreamt up by a chap called John Kabat-Zinn in 1979. And he took a group of... Um, chronically ill patients at the hospital in the Massachusetts uh, University who weren't responding very well to normal forms of treatment. And he put them through this eight-week um, MBSR programme. 
and it's pretty tough. If you, I've saved you the trouble, I've read this, you can borrow it if you want. It's, it's an eight week program, but it's very prescriptive and it's very tough. So it expects at least 45 minutes of meditation a day. Um, and there's a whole range of exercises that they get in there, like breathing exercises, body scans and walking meditations and yoga as well in, in that program. Um, but the results from that and the results that have happened since then have been pretty astonishing in terms of how it's helped people. A slightly easier starting point is probably this one, and I really recommend that book, it's fantastic. So they, these two authors were um, mental health nurses, and they've written it very much towards daily living and what you can do in your daily lives to incorporate mindfulness, and we'll, we'll talk a bit about that as well. So because of the MSc that I did, I had to do a lot of reading around the literature and, and why and how mindfulness works. So it's been shown in lots of studies to um, reduce anxiety, depression and irritability with regular practice. It can be seen to improve memory and even reaction times, which just seems crazy that just by mindfulness you can improve your reaction time. It's also been shown to improve your mental and physical stamina, improve self-esteem, and even more amazingly is that it's been shown to alter the structure of your brain by people who regularly meditate have been seen to have slightly different brain structures to, to normal people. Normal people, that sounds terrible, doesn't it? <laughs> I didn't mean that. <laughs> so... It's being rather than doing. It's the opposite of automatic pilot. How many people have driven to work before and you, you, you know you left the house and you know you got to work, but what happened in between is a little bit blurry? It's not that. It's the complete opposite of that. So it's focusing on the, on the one thing in the moment, and it is a skill, as we've said, that needs practice. So what might help is a couple of metaphors. I've even got a, a dog gifting for you. So the metaphors of a of a puppy. Your mind's very much like a puppy. Your mind seeks out things. It wants to do things. It wants to know things. It's running around. It's looking in all the corners of the room. It's here, there, and everywhere. That's what, that's what your mind does. And that can be good, but it can also be exhausting. The other one's the radio. So a lot of people might have a narrative that goes around in their head, a little voice that talks to you. Sometimes it can say good things. Sometimes it can be quite negative. Now, mindfulness can help with that. It might not be able to turn the radio off, but it can turn the volume down, so you're not always listening to that voice. And that if you choose to listen to it, you can turn the volume up. If you don't want to listen to it, you can turn the volume down. The other metaphor is the spotlight, which you're in control of. So this a torch or a spotlight, you can use your mind to focus your attention on whatever it is that you want. And it's not easy. The spotlight will keep swinging away, but with practice you can keep focusing that spotlight on exactly you want, what you want it to focus on. So because I'm into this and a bit of a science geek, this is what I like to hear. This is, this is the um, analysis of a huge amount of studies, and that in, in psychological studies, they are huge studies because it's very hard to recruit uh, patients to them. So with 12,000 people in this study, it showed that Mindfulness-based therapies are very, very effective in reducing anxiety, depression, and stress. 
What's really interesting is it makes no difference who you are, what sex, what colour, what your background is, what your job is. None of that has an effect on whether mindfulness works or not. So again, it's a fantastic uh, tool for anyone. And the evidence is so strong that even NICE now are recommending it as a, a treatment method for people with, with depression. And it's been shown to be even more effective than um, chemical uh, assistance. So it works, but why does it work? And this is where it starts, like anything in science, it starts to get a little bit less clear. So it seems to be important in disengaging us from our automatic thoughts and our habits and our behaviour patterns. So just having that awareness of what you would traditionally do or respond to a stressor, mindfulness helps you make, identify that and helps you stop going down that route that you would automatically go down, which may or may not be healthy for you. So it helps you helps reduce that tendency to emotionally react to things and ruminate about things and constantly dwell either in the past or the future or constantly worry about what's happened or what's going to happen. So it's, it, it helps reduce that. It's been shown to sort of modify distorted patterns of self-view. So people who've got particular um, psychological disorders, it's been very effective in sort of eating disorders potentially. And it's also a form of what they call participatory, participatory medicine. So the individual is taking responsibility for their own, own journey towards health. So rather than sitting back and maybe taking um, pharmaceutical methods, you're taking part in your own journey towards health. You're not just expecting to get better, you're actually doing something about it. And that's been shown to be very effective. So I've already mentioned a bit about um, the brain structure altering in people who regularly meditate and the jury's out as to exactly what's happening there but the thinking is that if the brain structure is altering certain functions and emotions might be changing as well so that, that could be what's happening in that case. Um, it's also very clear that thinking and feeling patterns are very linked to the way we um, to our physical and psychological health. So, you know, a bit of an old wives, wives' tale, people saying, oh, well, you can think yourself ill, but it, it certainly seems that is the case. If you sit there and dwell and think you've got a bad leg and think, oh, it's killing me with my knee this morning, it probably will start hurting. So, Kabat-Zinn, in his, in his big book here, what he's saying is that if we can attend to the consequences of this, and act on them as we see them and experience them, we can potentially uh, improve. So we talk about mental health and physical health, but we don't really talk about mental um, exercise or physical exercise. So in the same way, you'll not, you'll not get over sort of coronary heart disease without doing some exercise. You're not gonna get over any form of mental illness without doing some mental exercise. So look at these two horrors here. See, I think mindfulness is a skill that you're probably much better at when you're a child and you might start to lose it. When they're eating those ice creams, do you think they're thinking about what they're doing next or what's going to happen next week? Or are they just, God knows what flavour that is, are they just tasting the sensation of the minty ice cream and enjoying the, the, the coldness on their, on their tongues? So, that's enough rabbiting on. We're going to try some.
So as a start, while I just get something sorted out, turn to your neighbour, have we got an even number? Look at their face, look at their hair, and just, just say that you are... Just tell them something you notice about them. Anything, it can be anything. <laughs> and when you, sorry, when, when you've done it to your neighbour, get the neighbour to do it back to you. Just look at their face uh, and just say, tell them something that you notice about them. something? Is anyone prepared to share? Or a show of hands? Was the comment that was made positive or negative? Hands up for positive. Isn't that, isn't that nice that a little bit of mindfulness has a unanimous positive effect on the whole? So, now we'll do... Um, <laughs> So we'll do a, what you call a formal meditation practice. So at great expense, I've gathered these expensive props today. If you'd like to choose a leaf, pass them around. Can we get any leaf? <laughs> yeah, that, sorry, they are in poo bags, but they haven't previously been used for poo. <laughs> So when you were selecting the leaf, was your mind saying, oh, I want a, I want a good one? I don't, I don't want a rubbishy leaf. This one's got to be perfect. It's got to have a nice color to it. It's got to be, don't want it crispy. I want it nice, nice fresh one, which is difficult in the autumn because most of them were, were, were crispy. So isn't that odd that your mind has got a protocol for what makes a good leaf? And you, you've automatically gone to that. Your mind's forced that onto you. You didn't ask to, your brain to tell you what a good leaf is, but it's done anyway. And your brain's got millions of those protocols about everything. It'll, and, and they'll come into your attention whether you want them or not. So, for mindfulness, as I said, it's not meditation in the sense that we're going to light candles and sit around and say, mm. so we're not going to do anything with the lights. But it does often help if you sit upright, with your back straight, feet planted on the ground. And for this one I'll, uh, I'll go through a script because it's quite hard to remember. 
So, we're going to do mindfulness practice. During this exercise, I'll guide you to focus on a particular item or experience. As you follow the instructions, your mind is likely to wander to other things. This is perfectly normal. When you notice that your mind has wandered, gently return it to the task. Do this as many times as you need to. When you do this, you are being mindful. So during this practice, I'll guide you through a series of observations. If your mind wanders off, just gently bring it back to the leaf and follow the next instruction. First of all, hold the leaf in the palm of your hand. Notice the weight of it. How does it feel against the skin on your palm? Are there places where it touches and places where it doesn't? Pick it up between your fingers and thumb. Notice the temperature of the leaf. Does it feel warm or cool? Is it the same temperature all over? Does the temperature change as you hold it between your fingers? Notice the texture of the leaf. Does it feel rough or smooth? Do the edges of the leaf feel the same as the centre? Is it hard or soft, firm or limp? to the touch? Is it damp or dry? Does the stalk feel the same as the leaf? Allow your eye to follow the contour of the leaf. Notice its shape and size. View it from a variety of angles to see the shape change in your eye line. How thin is it? How wide is it at the widest point? Notice the colour on the upper side of the leaf. See any variations in shade and texture? Look at the details. Any veins, ridges, patterns? Explore every part of the leaf the edges, the middle, the stalk. If you feel like your mind's wandered, don't judge yourself for that. Just gently bring your attention back to the leaf. In doing that process, you've already been mindful. Now take the leaf in your fingers and turn it over and notice how the underside differs in colour and texture. Notice how the light catches the leaf differently as you move it. Does the leaf have a smell? Is it more evident towards the stalk or in the middle of the leaf? If you run your nail over the leaf, does it become stronger? So continue to use your senses to observe the leaf until I signal the end of the exercise. So if you want to return your attention to the room. Any got any feedback? Anyone want to say anything about that process? On my mind it wanted a lot. Yep. That's uh, 
well, they've referred to it in the book as mental muscle. So your mind will wander, and that's the that's the whole point of mindful practice is to keep bringing it back, keep bringing it back, and you might have to do that over and over again. But it's a skill that you need to to master to to get your head around mindfulness. So that I mean that was a form, what we call a formal mindful practice. We could have done an eating exercise, but Ellie doesn't like them, so we've not done that. We could do a breathing one if people are mega keen and want to do another one. Yeah. Right? Okay, so this one again. Um, sit up straight with the two feet on the ground. Ha- hands on the lap. You can either close your eyes if that's what you're comfortable with or you can just let your gaze drop. So this one's mindfulness of the breath. Okay, just take a moment to arrive here in this room. Allow the walls of the room to act as a barrier, keeping out whatever happened before you came in and keeping out whatever might happen after you leave. Let's bring our attention to the way we're connected to this room, moving the spotlight of our mind to the soles of our feet. Can you sense the hardness of the floor beneath your shoes? Now pay all of your attention to the sensation of being seated on the chair. Notice how it feels to allow your weight to rest on the chair. Feel the sensation on your legs and your bottom and your back as the chair holds you up. Now bring your attention in further to notice that you are breathing. We're not trying to alter the rate of our breathing in any way. But if it does change, that's fine. Just notice that without judging. (coughs) Bring the spotlight of your mind to the point in your body where you're most aware of your breath. This may be in your nostrils. You might feel the air rushing in and out of the nose. Or it might be the rise and fall of your chest. Or in the expansion and contraction of your belly. Wherever it is for you, see if you can tell the difference between the in-breath and the out-breath. Notice that every in-breath is followed by an out-breath, and every out-breath is followed by an in-breath. Notice the point at which your breath changes from coming in to going out. If your mind wanders, gently guide it back to the in-breath or the out-breath. Don't judge yourself for noticing this is what minds do when you've been mindful by noticing and guiding your attention back to the breath. Now continue to focus on the breath. It may help if, as you're breathing to quietly say in your mind, in as you breathe in and out as you breathe out. Continue doing this until I signal the end of the exercise. Slowly return your 
attention back to the room when you're ready. So if you were doing the eight week mindfulness course, you'd be doing 45 minutes of that a day, which isn't brilliant for people who have busy lives, and it's the people who have busy lives probably need the most from out of mindfulness. So some everyday examples, try and squeeze them into your life. Cleaning your teeth in the morning. So instead of cleaning your teeth thinking, I'm late for work, I've got to get going, I've got to get faster. Just try and experience the bristles on your teeth and your gums, the sensation of the, the, the minty toothpaste. Or even driving to work, rather than driving down the A1 thinking, oh, I'm bloody going to get stuck at the Kramlin and turn off again. I'll be late. All, those, all that mind traffic again that's going through your mind. Think about the sensation of the steering wheel in your hands, the position of your body on the seat, the, the effort of pushing in the pedals or even walking, mindful walking. As you walk into work, don't think about what's going to happen when you get in there, you're going to be confronted with a whole host of problems. Try and notice the ground underneath your feet, the sensation of walking, maybe at this time of year, the cold air on your face. So by doing those everyday examples, it's kind of how you'll clock up those mindful minutes. And again, the analogy with exercise, you know, if we walk to work or you could squeeze in a run at lunchtime, if you can squeeze in a few mindful minutes every day, hopefully you'll see the benefit to your, your own mental health. So, hopefully it was interesting. And if you're interested, there's always ways to find out more, but that, that is a really useful tool if you, if you want to have a look at that. But I've got to get my plug in. So this is an advert, look how it's, it's all, all disclosure, there's no advertised, sponsored by psychology. So it's not just that we can't spell, it is, there's a reason that it's psychology. Um, and it's because everything's connected, our mental health, our physical health, our relationships to others, our relationships with ourselves, are all connected in a kind of ecosystem. Now my background before I was interested in this was biology, so it kind of makes, it makes sense to me. So what we've done in psychology is developed two programs, one called Headway and one called the Positive Work Ecosystem. And they're both, they're very similar, they're based on the same sort of psychological principles. Headway is designed more for individuals and the Positive Work Ecosystem is something that we hope to, to roll out to organisations and schools and, and places where there's, there's quite a few people. The latest cohort, although it was a small group, it stopped in council. Um, the data that we've collected from there has shown that over half of people who take part in it report lower levels of anxiety and nearly 60% are saying that it helps uh, reduce their, their stress levels. So we're getting some really tangible positive feedback that we, that we measure with every group. So what we're trying to do, that's, we're trying to head north and expand the empire. So what I'm hoping to do in January is is start a headway session up this way. So it'll be an informal setting, we'll do it in a coffee shop or maybe somewhere like here. Um, and to summarise really, it's all about awareness and it's, it's all done through stories and mindful conversation. And we know that if you're more aware of yourself, you're more aware of others, your situation, you make better choices. And better decision making and better choices for you lead to improved wellbeing. And in the work setting better performance so that's to try and sum it up that's the best we've done <laughs> those three boxes but there is more to it than than just that and there's some flies here with more information on the back if you if you're interested 
If you're interested, the contact details are on there as well. If you message us, we will keep you updated if you think you're interested in one of these sessions and we'll, we'll get it sorted out and we'll kick that off in the, in the new year. But overall, hopefully you enjoyed this evening. It wasn't a waste of time. Mm -hmm. Great, thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it was it, it was the purpose of it was whether mindfulness can work with people with learning disabilities because it's quite an abstract concept, especially when you're talking about something that isn't really supposed to work. And there hadn't really been any studies on children with learning disabilities, um, so we wanted to prove or we wanted to see whether it would benefit them. And the only real difference that we made from the traditional program was the length. So it was 13 weeks rather than eight, and it was a lot more repetitive. But, um, and it was a lot more visual. So we did things like snow globes and sweet spot jars where they were put their good thoughts in. Um, we had them lying on the, on the ground and we drew around them and got them to identify where their stress was and how they, how they experienced that. And again, difficulty with any scientific study, it was a very small group. I think there was only 10 that followed, there was 30 that started, but there was only 10 that we managed to follow all the way through the 13 weeks. But the data showed that it was working with them, so they are able to benefit from um, mindful exercises. So it worked. But again, in science, there's a lot of debate. Is it just the fact that we all got in a room together, we're all like-minded people and we all talked about it? Is that why mindfulness works? Or is it something to do with mindfulness? And that still hasn't really been bottomed out yet. But at the end of the day, if it works, it doesn't really matter. Well, the, the initial program was for people who were in a position, because it was people who were chronically ill, they weren't seeming to make any improvements. So I suppose at that stage it was sort of an afterthought. Um, but it really is, it's more beneficial as a preventative measure. Uh, although a lot of the studies show that um, people who have been through various, or several episodes of depression is really, really effective for them, even more so than, than drugs. Um, but from my point of view, and what we're trying to do with the, the business is exactly that. It's to build that resilience and build that mental fitness so that you, that you can take on stresses. Because, you, you know, it'll happen. <laughs> you'll get sad at some point in your life. You'll have a stressful event in some, at some point in your life. And it's how you understand yourself and deal with that at the time is much more useful to you than having a crisis and then seeking out, um, you know, some sort of help. And with the pressures that there are on the systems, you know, you, that help just isn't there. So if you can do it all up front, it's, it's much more beneficial. So one more bit. Is there an analogy with obviously children about feeling the Xbox? And, uh, <laughs> yeah. Do they go through those sensations? Can it, can it be used in, in a modern world uh, for kids to actually... Because obviously a lot of the kids can't relate to, to some of the things that we, we, we can from our memories of what childhood was like with sort of appreciating physical mm. things that are more natural probably than 
in the modern generation where it is electronic gadgets and yeah. sort of virtual worlds. I, I think it's a problem because I think it, the sort of toys that the kids love now take a lot of that tactile play away from them. So you're already a step removed from any kind of mindfulness. You know, a screen with images you should be able to be mindful with because that's, you know, you should be able to be mindful with anything. But I think that's a lot more difficult than an item that you can touch and feel and changes. Uh, and, and maybe, you know, that's one of the issues with why there's, you know, a lot of pressure on kids and a lot of mental uh, health issues with young, particularly with young children because they're not getting that. But that'd be an interesting study to do, that wouldn't it? Can he be? Can he play the Xbox mindfully? <laughs> <laughs> so pick up on that. Um, my son, most of you know, is ten, and I don't know how he came across it, but he found an app on his iPhone called Headspace. Mm. <laughs> so I don't know how he did it, and he went through this, and he used to sit like this with his crossed legs and doing it. But he'd find Headspace, and it's three or four or five minutes sitting there being quiet. And so he'd have the phone on, and it'd just be by the side of the bed, and he'd be sort of telling you these little things like you were talking. Mm. Um, and it would, even five minutes for him just to shut up and sit down and be quiet it was brilliant. And it made a difference, and it's, it's not busy sometimes, but after a week of doing it, you can really notice that it was a bit more peaceful, a bit more keen to do it. So yeah, it was kind of easy, it wasn't staring at a screen, it wasn't Fortnite punching in the face. Yeah. Um, no, there are some really good apps. Headspace one. There's another one called Buddhify. But if you Google any, you know, any mindfulness, there's, there's loads of stuff out there. Um, yeah, you know, that that will give you some of those guided meditations. So if if you're struggling to think of one yourself, then they'll you know give you the prompts that you that you need. I was going to kind of you know, following it on from Richard and doing another drive time show today that we are looking at our phones. Very wanted to guess how many times a day. What would you say? Two hundred times. Two hundred times a day, kind of on average, people are looking at their phones because they've now got their emails on it, they've got WhatsApp and all these different other mediums. It's just frightening for me going forward. But like Richard, I want to be on the outside, kind of with kids. What? I would say two hundred times is probably on the low side for for some days. It doesn't seem that much. Well, I was watching a Boston program that was all about how the mobile phone is developed and the designers behind it are this sort of rolling most sort of addictive. So one that, that we try and do a lot, um, although I have to disclose we've fallen off the wagon a bit recently, is um, before you go to bed with the kids, get them to do three good things. Ask them what the three good things from the day is. And that, that it really calms them down. And again, it's just, it's just an awareness thing and a, an emotion, because they'll, they'll generally come up with three cracking things that you've not, th- not heard of. Um, but that, that one works really well. 
Um, but you know, I think kids are generally much more mindful. You know, if you if you're out anywhere with the kid, especially my two, they'll point out things. So you'll you'll be rushing headlong. Oh, come on, I've got to do the shopping, or let's do this, let's do that. And they're like, oh, but look at this, look at that. And to you, it's a massive frustration because you're just like, let's get to the blind shop. But I think they're already been mindful or a lot more mindful than, than perhaps we are so we should maybe take a step back and encourage that. Do, do the, the most effective results come from when it's combined with physical and kind of decluttering your life as well? Is, is, there sort of, is this one part of a, a really successful program and it needs to be kind of combined with other aspects of life or, or does it just purely this is sort of enough or does this lead on to sort of other things? Well I mean for me mindfulness was just it, it, it was main benefit was it gives you that time and space it gives you a bit of distance between whatever it is that you're worried about and uh, it just kind of slows it down I mean I suppose it depends on what exactly you're talking about I think generally if you're looking for mental health improvements and you know the program that I'm talking about really is a mindful based program but we don't do mindful exercises in it unless that's what we identify as people wanting because I think there is more to it there's more there's more about understanding ourselves understanding the choices that we make now you might want to use mindful techniques to help you accept that and and do them but I think in terms of sort of dealing with your own emotions and making the right choices that improve your mental health there's more to that than just sitting doing a bit of mindfulness I think you do need to change change your outlook on life which you know is easy to stand here and say but is infinitely difficult for for most people. What did you notice specifically Again, I think uh, William said this week, my son that most of you know, said, Dad, you've been really shouty this week. And that's, that's instantly when I know I haven't been mindful for a period of time because your, temp, your temper shortens and little things start to stress you out. And I think me personally, big, big events, I seem to handle easier than little things, but that's probably the big events manifesting in the little things. But so it's, it's that, it's that calmer, happier, um, less angry. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's the differences that I see. Is this, is this a, a real Western thing that's been picked up from the sort of Buddhist way of thinking? Is it, is it used by, as part of the sort of Buddhist religion? Is it sort of consciously known as mindfulness, or is that just the way they've always been, and we've sort of stolen it from them to sort of fit well, into our mad lives? Yeah, well, I mean, the, the Buddhist religion places a lot of emphasis on attention, paying attention to things, so that what you would call mindfulness. Um, and, you know, Kabat-Zinn kind of hijacked that for his MBSR programme, and kind of put some science behind it if you like but the, the the concept of focusing your attention on one thing at a time so the 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 sort of common parlance of multitasking is impossible your brain can't your brain physically cannot multitask you can only do one thing at a time and if you want to do one thing without adding stress to your life you need to focus your full attention on that one thing regardless of what it is but Kamat Zinn's a really interesting guy if just from you know even if you're not interested in mindfulness because he was he's a medical trained professor um, but he was he went out to Tibet or wherever and, and trained to become a, a Buddhist monk so he kind of combined very American western science of the sort of 60s and 70s with eastern tradition and that's how he, he developed his mindful program. Yeah. 
Well, I suppose that lying in bed's a great one for the sort of a body scan or a breathing exercise because you you still, you know, you can you can feel the sensations on of your body, uh, focus on the breathing, the rise and fall of your chest. So that that'd be one to try. Yeah. I can do that. I think everything's still. I think the practice there. Yeah, yeah. Well, I was. Um, Last night, not because I was worried about the um, doing the talk, because I'm quite happy to stand here and talk to people, but the content I was really unhappy with. So I woke up at 2.36 last night and completely rewrote that presentation in my mind and then got up in the morning and rewrote the presentation. Because um, it's our brains, it's, it's, it's the restless puppy. Your brain wants to do these things. And it's, it's good from an evolutionary sense. If we weren't doing that, we probably wouldn't have survived. So it's... it's we're cavemen at the end of the day living in a modern world and it's not, that's where the disconnect is, but that's what mindfulness will hopefully help you with, John. But I can't, I can't fix it for you. You're going to have to practice. <laughs> practice, practice. Try uh, downloading one of the apps, Headspace or Butterfly, because they've got specific ones for um, if you can't sleep, and they'll, they'll take you through a, a, a meditation, hopefully help. There's, there's another thing, I don't know whether you know Richard, but um, it's, it's great to hear what, what you're developing here, and on Tuesday evenings once a month we actually have a wellbeing cafe that just started here. I saw the, that's, that's an opportunity for somebody like yourself to come and practice some of these great techniques because it is, it's a mental muscle and if we don't use it, it's just going to wither away and we're not going to build that resilience and those skills. So somebody like yourself who's having trouble sleeping, it'd be great for you to come along. So it'll be one hour in the month, so you have to do stuff at home as well. <laughs> It's called the Wellbeing Cafe. What, what is it? It's um, every second Tuesday of the month. We've just had one this Tuesday here. Oh, it's seven till eight o'clock. I can, I can give you a little. I was going to say, Chris, if you can send it to me. Yeah, if you can send it to me. That would be lovely. And if yeah. you um, aren't on any social media, if you've got a website, you can sign up to a newsletter. And I can send it around. Yeah, he says that. Um, he says the books that you were talking about. Yeah, yeah. So that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Trouble with sleeping is once you know you can't sleep, you think you're going to worry why you want to sleep when you sleep. You've got to almost think about it, which is easier said than done. Yeah. It's a good one. So that's a good point, actually. If anybody on social media, the live at 45, you've got to take all the comings and goings and the future guests and things like Crystal Wellbeing Cafe. Um, we do this as a podcast, so you'll see I've been recording it. So I'll release it as a podcast probably within the next few days, which will go onto iTunes, so you can subscribe to iTunes. 
um, and the section where you were doing the meditation there, I think that's really brilliant. Because I'm just download podcast and listen to that bit. For me, it's normally about 4 to 5 that I wake up. Right. And that's me until about half past 5. So that would be something to do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, any more questions or anyone got any more comments? Can I just go back to what you said, the breathing? That's well, not off the whole, off the trot, 45 minutes. Is it just snippets? It depends whether you're a fan of Mr. Cavett's in. <laughs> if, if you were in his eight-week programme, you would do 45 minutes off the trot of a mindful exercise. And it wouldn't always be... So breathing would be one, a 45-minute body scan would be another. That is a risk that you fall asleep. But I, th- I think this is, this, for, for me, this, this is a much more useful practical, I mean, it's called a practical guide because it's, 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 it's got techniques in there that you can use every day and you don't need to sit there for 45 minutes and do. And I think that's more realistic for, for most of us. There you go. Great session with Richard Anderson. Um, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you feel a little bit more spiritual, a little bit more relaxed. Um, if you go to our Facebook page, Richard's actually posted a couple of book suggestions for us there. Um, and there's one of the books which is, is not the one that's the size of a bread bin. It's the one that's more the size of a sandwich. And that looks a lot better for us. So if you uh, head to our Facebook page, you can find links there. Uh, next month, we have Dan Smith, who has just been the first person to kayak from the tip of Scotland to the bottom of England only using canals and rivers. Um, Roughly 900 miles, had to walk between the two uh, if there was any towpaths or any roads that he had to go on and carry the kayak with him. Um, And we've also got a special guest, so it's a Christmas special and um, if you can't join us then the podcast will be available shortly after. Um, In the meantime, I hope that you continue to subscribe to the podcast 
if you ever feel that you are enjoying it and you would like to get involved, then please give us a shout. Um, that could be getting involved by coming along and watching, coming along and telling us your story, or even just becoming a podcast sponsor. Um, so give us a shout if you're interested. Otherwise, until next time, keep mindful. <laughs>